Amen. Good. You ready? Um, good. We're in Luke, uh, no, Matthew chapter 4 today. Um, your good news, I haven't got a PowerPoint. Um, so it's all you. So you get to get your Bible out, whether it's on your phone or a paper one if you're really old school and cool. It's kind of retro now, isn't it, to have a paper Bible? Oh, yes, nice one. Um, uh, so grab your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 4. And we're looking at, um, as Sarah said earlier, we're in a series on where would Jesus be, thinking about the kind of places where Jesus shows up. And in particular, we're thinking about those through a few lenses. We're thinking, okay, what does it say about Jesus that he shows up in a place like this? So what do, what do we learn about Jesus? What happens when he goes to places? Like what kind of things happen when Jesus shows up in a place like this? And then what does that have to say to us and to our lives, to the places where we go and to the situations that we uh, encounter? Does that make sense? Great. Now, up to now, uh, we're, we're relatively early on in the series so far, but so far, um, the places where Jesus has gone has been, relatively speaking, quite nice. Um, he's gone up a mountain, been alone with God. That's been really cool, really nice. Uh, nice hill walks around Galilee, good times. Um, he even went to the Himalayas with Bev. That was pretty cool. Um, and... Uh, that was very nice. Um, and he's also been in the Jordan getting baptized, which is pretty cool, isn't it? That's a pretty good good day for Jesus. Um, he hears the voice from heaven, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Um, and then he's filled with the Holy Spirit as well. These are good things, right? Good, good days for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, so today we're going to take a look at a, the first kind of place where Jesus goes where he probably doesn't really feel that keen on. Um, and Jesus goes to a lot of places where, he re- where it's really cool, where there's uh, good times to be had, and he goes to parties, and it's really great. But we also follow a Jesus who goes to some really challenging places, some really difficult places, um, and one of those we're going to look at uh, today. Jesus is going to the desert, not the dessert. I had to scrap my first preach based on that. Um, I just got the wrong end of the stick completely. Um, But he goes to the desert or the wilderness, um, and there he's tempted by the devil. He goes 40 days and 40 nights without food. So we're going to have a barrel of laughs here today together looking at this great, great story. Uh, But thinking about it through the lens of um, why is Jesus there? What does it say about him that he's there? What happens when he goes there? And what does it say to our lives? Are you ready? Good. Um, Now, uh, the first thing I would like you to see is that um, in Matthew verse 4, chapter 1, it says this. Uh, Verse 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 1. I can speak Bible. Um, It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, does anyone else see anything slightly problematic there? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now, Jesus has just been baptized, right? It's the previous thing that happens. Is that right? Yes. Um, And it was really cool. Jesus gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit is sending him out into the wilderness. Now, I don't know what you think of the Holy Spirit or how you normally think about the Holy Spirit. But when I normally think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I normally associate it with generally good times. Like the Holy Spirit comes and fills me. Maybe he gives me a new gift, a new, um, maybe he gives you the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or something to build up the church. That's a cool thing, right? Or maybe he, he ministers to your heart and does healing and, and shows you the love of the Father again. And that's a good thing, right? But for Jesus, getting filled with the Spirit also has this element to it, that the Spirit doesn't just come as his little genie and his pet to make him feel good and give him stuff. It's also a Lord. 
the Holy Spirit also comes to our lives as Lord. Does that make sense? And that means that when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, we're not just inviting him to come as our little pet to do us good. That is what he, like he loves to do us good. He loves to speak the love of the Father into our lives and to give us gifts. But he comes as Lord. And that means he gets to decide our next move. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is a spirit on a mission. He wants to do stuff in the world and change the world and use us. And that means inviting the Holy Spirit into your life is actually quite a risky thing to do. Good. That was point one. Okay, I'll move on. Um, so, <laughs> so he's sent out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and some of your Bibles will now say, and afterwards he was hungry. <laughs> which wins the understatement of the Bible award. Has anyone, how, how many of you love fasting? <laughs> Galena loves fasting. Um, I absolutely hate, 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 hate fasting. I can fast just about between snacks. And I bought, actually, I bought, um, I had breakfast this morning, but I bought three pieces of pizza in my bag to keep me going till lunch because I just know Sundays are a dark time for hunger. But then I forgot to eat them during the notices, so I'm still hungry now. So I'm actually giving this message a hungry man. So I, I know how Jesus feels. Um, has anyone ever done a 40-day fast? A couple of people. Wow. You are hardcore spiritually. Do you still feel like oozing over with spiritual goodness from that? time. Very impressive. Um, how many of you, right, no, let's not do a fast um, a, a, a survey. But it's tough, isn't it? It's tough doing a fast. Um, and when you do a fast, you feel spir- uh, f- maybe physically quite weak afterwards. Anyone feel like that? Yeah? Uh, particularly, probably, I imagine if you don't eat for 40 days, there's some, there's some weakness going on, um, I would imagine. Um, I, ma- biggest fast I've done is one day. And uh, <laughs> you're lucky I'm still here to be honest I, I thought I wasn't going to make it um, <laughs> but I'm not uh, I'm not very spiritually strong let's move on um, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards he was hungry and, and it's in that context that Satan shows up in other words Satan shows up when Jesus hasn't eaten anything for 40 days so he's hungry he shows up when Jesus has been disconnected from people for 40 days so he's alone he shows up when he's tired because your body gets physically tired when you fast like this I imagine um, not speaking from experience um, so he comes when Jesus is at his weakest point Satan shows up there's no one there how many of you know when there's no one there, temptation is different? Like if you've got a bunch of people around you uh, who are supporting you, who love you, who care for you, sometimes it's a lot easier to say no to things. But when you're on your own, there's this kind of side where you've got no support, but you've also got no accountability. No one is watching. Make sense? I mean, except the Father. The Father's watching, and Jesus knows that. But there's that kind of pressure here, isn't there? If, if, if Jesus is going to be tempted at any point, this is going to be when it is, when he's at his weakest, when he's at his hungriest, when he's at his lowest. So the tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Satan's a genius, <laughs> in a bad way, but... <laughs> But he is a genius. You see, like, I mean, it's, it's clear as day, isn't it? He goes straight for Jesus' physical weakness. And the first thing he says to do is, hey, why don't you make these stones become bread? 
Now, the reason I think that's such a clever first temptation is this. It's not a sin to make stones bread. Do you know what I mean? Like, Satan comes and says to him something that Jesus is, ethically speaking, and the Old Testament law speaking, allowed to do. There's nothing in it that says the Messiah can't turn stones into bread, I don't think, is there? No. Isn't that genius? So why does Jesus resist? He's hungry, he's done his 40 days fast, and this lovely voice comes to him and says, Jesus, you can have breakfast if you want, fresh baked loaves. I would have said, add some you know, sausages in there or something as well. Oh no, Jesus probably wouldn't have had sausages. <laughs> lamb, let's go for lamb, safer. Um, and, you know, anyway, <laughs> um, he could have produced it all kosher as well, couldn't he? So, um, but uh, do you see the genius of that? So then why does Jesus resist? Because Jesus says to him, it's written, one does not live, or man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, I think, um, I think the issue really here is this. It's the first phrase in Satan's, out of Satan's lips, isn't it? If you are the son of God. In other words, Satan isn't really looking to just affect Jesus' behavior. He's looking to undermine his identity as the child of God, as the son of God. Does that make sense? So by making bread out of stones, what Jesus isn't just doing is making bread out of stones, which would be a cool trick. What he's doing is saying, yes, Satan, I'm going to agree with what you're saying about my life, and I need to prove my identity to you. What are the previous words to this that are spoken over Jesus? You are my son, whom I love, whom I'm, with whom I'm well pleased. That is literally the previous thing that Jesus hears. And now here Satan is, and he just kind of sticks it in subtly, making it look like he's just saying, hey, have some food. What he's really saying is, you really God's son? You really who you are? Is that really who you are? Satan goes after his identity. And you know what? It's the same trick today. Satan loves to undermine our identity, make us feel like we're not actually God's kids, make us question our, um, our you know, you're not really a proper Christian. All the proper Christians feel like this. You, the proper Christians don't struggle with this. Proper Christians don't feel like this. Uh, and he does that still, doesn't he? Um, so Jesus is really, oh, he's just so genius. He says, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus sees straight through what Satan is doing and says, actually, Satan, I'm living off what God says about me. I'm living off what he says about me. I'm not living off your challenge, your prompting, your words. I'm living off God saying, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Do you see that? Good. Also, I love that. Where's this quote from? Where's Jesus quoting from? The Bible. (laughs) Deuteronomy. Exactly. In fact, each time, Satan tempts Jesus three times in this passage, and every time Jesus responds with a quote from Deuteronomy. Now, just by way of a question, um, who here, if your fate with Satan depended on your ability to quote back verses from Deuteronomy, How many of us would win? (laughs) It's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Because Jesus is able to think through, think think scripture and just pull it out of the bag and be like, yes, I've got a verse that, ah. He He loves God's word so much. He's been in it so much. He lives off it so much 
that it's right there when he needs it. You know, so often I feel like, um, like we as Christians, we go through times where we just don't feel like we're really hearing from God. Anyone know what that feels like? Don't feel like you're really walking like, oh, it's been a long time since I've heard the voice of God or whatever. I feel like a lot of the time, not all the time, but I feel like a lot of the time that corresponds with I'm also not really reading my Bible. Does that make sense? I'm also not really making time to actually be in the Word and say, what's it saying to me? And letting it fuel my life. But Jesus has done that. He's doing that. So even after 40 days of hunger, he's still thinking the Word. And not just the Word, but Deuteronomy. I mean, come on. (laughs) That's impressive. When he's like that much in the Torah, in the Old Testament law of God. Cool? Cool. Good. Let's move on. Um, Then the devil, not wanting to be discouraged, takes him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their heads they will bear you up. On their hands. (laughs) Not on their heads. So that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So here's the scenario. Um, Satan kind of takes him, it's not clear whether it's a vision or whether he was actually there, whatever, takes him to the top of a temp- the, t- the temple in Jerusalem, which was the center of, of the Jewish um, faith, of the Jewish understanding of where God was going to move in history. Um, and it's also the sem- center of worship and sacrifice, meaning there are crowds of people at the temple all the time going in and out, making sacrifices, serving God, um, reading his word. There's always a busy place, right? So what Satan, I think, is saying here is, hey, Jesus, I've got a great idea for your new PR campaign, right? Up until now, you've kind of been quite obscure. You've been in the dark. Um, let's, let's kick your mission off with a bit of a bang, right? We'll do the stunt like this. You throw yourself off the temple, and as you kind of fall down, people will be like, oh, what's going on? And then these swarms of angels, what do angels swarm? I don't know. Um, flocks. Uh, hosts, that's the one. Um, hosts of angels. <laughs> we'll come. Swarming kind of gives the wrong impression, doesn't it? Um, uh, and, and catch you, and then you'll kind of glide down through like this, through the crowds, and everyone will be like, whoa! And then everyone will just know that's the Messiah. That's the chosen one by God. You'll get instant fame, instant recognition, none of this anonymous ministry wandering around Galilee healing a few people. Uh, not that I was particularly anonymous, but do, do you get it? I think Satan's saying, Jesus, you could have it all so easy. You could do this so easy. And in fact, since you quoted a scripture at me last time, I've got one for you too. Psalm 91. Satan knows his Bible. It's concerning. (laughs) It's not his, but he knows the Bible. Um, Says that if you jump off here, angels will catch you. How cool will that be? Right? So again, there's nothing in the Old Testament law that says do not jump off a temple. Um, it's kind of, I guess, assumed in common sense law. But, um, <laughs> but so Satan comes to Jesus like this. Um, and Jesus says again, he says back to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now I love this because Jesus has such an easy way of getting fame, of getting recognition, of making it all about him. But he's able to recognize in this moment, actually, I'm a servant of my father. Like, I live for him. 
It's his approval that I'm looking for, not their approval. It's his, like, yes that I'm looking for and not their yes. You know, this is really, um, I think it's big for all of us, isn't it? Um, We so desire being approved of by other people. Like, I feel that so much, particularly in this job. Um, Well, probably no, I'd feel it anywhere, whatever job I was in. Um, But I feel like there's kind of pressures and... uh, benefits of being in a job like this but one of the pressures is whenever I come and do a talk like this I'm just desperate for you all to approve of me right so can you just give me a big clap no I'm kidding (laughs) but that does feel nice (laughs) and I go in actually it makes me terrified beforehand for like days Melissa will testify to this that I'm actually a right grotz for like grumpy grots for like Friday, Saturday, probably Thursday and Wednesday, maybe throwing Tuesday as well, because I'm so worried. And, and it's, it's not mainly a worry that I will teach the word of God well, though that would be a good thing to be worried about. It's mainly a worry, what if I don't come across well? What if people don't think I'm very clever this week? Or what if people don't think I've worked very hard this week? How's that doing? <laughs> Oh dear. Um, Sarah, uh, Nigel did call me overloaded earlier, which I, I did appreciate. Um, yes, I'm very overloaded. I've got such so much on. It's very hard being me. Um, but Jesus is able to focus on what's right. Anyway, let's move on. Um, you get the point. We need to be living for the approval of our Father, and, and that's it. It's not the only point from this passage, but it's the right one for today. Good. Um, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of this world of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, how many of you know Jesus is going to be the Lord of all the kingdoms of the world? That that At this point in his ministry, that's the direction he's heading in. So what's the temptation? Because Jesus is going to get it anyway, right? He's going to get the fame, he's going to get the glory as well, but he's going to get the kingdoms of the world. So what's the temptation? The temptation. Yeah, the temptation is you can have it all without the suffering. You can have it all without the cross. And it's not worship me forever either, is it? Just a little bow would do. Just a little, yes, Satan, you're so great. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Just a little one, and then I'll give you everything. I, we love shortcuts, don't we? I um, have been decorating this week, um, and decorating is a kind of thing that I have a love-hate relationship with. Like, I really enjoy it when it's done. <laughs> but the actual process is, it takes a long time, doesn't it? And you look at your room and you think, oh, I reckon that's about a day's work. And then a week later, it's like, oh my goodness, why is this taking so long? Now, what the temptation for me with decorating is that it's generally recommended that before you start painting, there's some jobs you have to do first. And they're the least fun ones, aren't they? The least fun jobs that you have to do first. They are clean the walls. I mean, come on. No one's going to see them because they have paint on top of them. So what's the point of that one? Um, Sand down the woodwork. Oh, good grief. That actually takes quite a long time. It's a bit of a drag. And then you've got to not just sand it down, but you've got to wash it afterwards so that you don't just get loads of dust in the paint that you're putting on. And then maybe hoover the floor. And then you've got to pull the carpet up. And all these things, it would just be so much easier if you just throw some paint on the walls, wouldn't it? Now, but how many of you know, when you actually take the shortcut and you don't do the prep, you live to regret it? 
Anyone been in that situation? And you're, you're painting, and then you realize that's that whole ledge that you didn't clean, and there's four years' worth of dust sitting on it. And now that dust is in your brush, and you have to go and start again, clean the brush, and it actually just takes so much longer than if you've got a wet cloth and gone <laughs> before. Amen? Taking the shortcut leaves you, in the end, with a less good result. And it's a painful lesson for me, but believe it or not, it's an even more painful lesson for Jesus um, in this situation. Because what Satan is offering him is, hey, Satan, you can have the shortcut. Just throw the paint on the walls. You can have the kingdom without any of that boring, painful, bleeding and dying stuff. But the thing is, what Satan is actually offering is just a parody kingdom, isn't it? Because if Jesus were to do it, imagine, imagine, follow it through in my mind. Jesus does the unthinkable, worships Satan, like, why would you do that? But he, imagine he does it. And then he gets the kingdoms of the world. Who's in them? They'd be empty. <laughs> Jesus' kingdom would be an empty kingdom. So it kind of, do you see what I mean? It kind of is a parody because in it there wouldn't be anyone because no one would have been rescued by him through the cross. So he would have won nothing. And actually, the only way is going through it the long way, the hard way. And he knows that. And so he says, no, be gone, Satan. Go away. Shoo, shoo. Um, worship, because it says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Nigel mentioned earlier Synergy, the football club that um, uh, we help support in Uganda. Amazing, amazing work. And that work is, is basically founded on the principle that we're going to take young guys without loads, of, without loads to do and maybe they haven't got much hope or many skills or whatever, and we're going to train them to be excellent at football. But not only are we going to train them to be excellent at football, we're going to train them to live with integrity and uprightness and for that to carry through into the football that we do. Now, that's caused a lot of problems for Synergy because other football clubs in Uganda, um, it's quite a kind of common thing that the way it works is before you go into a game, you bribe the judge. Uh, not judge, what do you call it? Referee. You bribe the referee <laughs> or the judge. I'm not very good at football, so I don't know what it's called. Um, but you bribe the ref, right? And then your team comes out on top. And lo the other team gets loads of red cards and loads of free kicks given away or whatever. And you probably come out on top. But Synergy made the decision, no, we're going to go the long road, but we are not going to play like that. We're actually going to do it the hard way. We're going to do it the long way. And do you know what? They're actually doing really, really well. And people are starting to notice, ah, this is what it looks like when you live with integrity and uprightness. Isn't that cool? And that's the road that Jesus paves. And Jesus paves it in such an amazing way um, because he says no, no, no uh, to Satan. I'm going to do it the long way. When Satan tries to promise him a kingdom with no cross on the way to it um, and all the fame without any of the hardship on the way to it, Jesus actually recognizes, actually what you're offering me is just a joke version of the real thing. Now, okay, I would like you quickly in groups to solve a theological conundrum for me. Ready? People have been arguing about this for centuries, so you're on the forefront of uh, theological uh, uh, discovery, I guess. The question is, and bear in mind that Jesus is God incarnate, could he, theoretically, have said yes to Satan on any of these issues? Could he have sinned? Does that make sense as a question? <laughs> Some of you are like, no. Um, 
Could he have sinned? Was he faking it? Or was he actually tempted? Could he have sinned? Could he have said yes to Satan? Did he have the option? Does that make sense? Go. You've only got a couple of minutes. Just to clarify, there's a lot of theologians who say that just because Jesus was um, uh, in very nature God, as it were, and had the, he's a, you know, part of the Trinity, and God cannot be tempted by sin, cannot sin. Could, so could Jesus have said yes. Does that make sense? By general way of approval, um, how many of you think probably um, no, Jesus couldn't have sinned because he's God? Elaine, a few? A few? How many of you think he could have done? It's very interesting. How many of you are abstaining? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Come back together. Come back to me. You, you did very well. Sorry, probably not all of you had the chance to speak. <laughs> now, here's my opinion. Is that he is, Jesus is God, right? I'm, I'm, I'm of that camp. I'm, I'm fully in favor. Um, but I think... For me, it's so important to understand that Jesus actually really did want to eat bread. Like, he was really genuinely tempted. He was really genuinely tempted about the idea of having a kingdom without a cross. He was really genuinely tempted to, to take the easy way out. And the reason I think that's important, besides the fact that the Bible says that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, besides that, is the fact that we actually really need a savior who understands, don't we? And it wasn't just a trick. Jesus wasn't just faking. Like, like some theologians say he was just faking that he was tempted to give us an example of how to fight in temptation. Like, I just think that's a load of rubbish. I mean, uh, sorry if that's your opinion. Um, but for me, it's so important that Jesus genuinely understands how I feel and genuinely has the option to behave either way. Does that make sense? Um, because we need a saviour who genuinely understands us. Why is Jesus in the wilderness? He's there because he's paving the way for us to show us how to fight Satan. To show us how to come against his accusations. How to stand on the word of God. How to say no. How to choose Jesus' way, God's way, even when it looks hard, even when it looks rubbish, even when it looks difficult. And to not listen to the lies of Satan. And that's only true, in my opinion. Though you might disagree, but you, you're wrong. Um, it, it's only true if he genuinely has the option of saying, actually, I'm going to sack off this mission and take the easy way. Does that make sense? Good. Then you're all on my side. Am I fired? I'm not fired yet. Okay, that's good. Um, now, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing, and this will be a kind of closing few minutes um, thought. What is this story doing at this point in the story? Has anyone ever thought about that? Like, I was trying to think about this. What's the big story? Why, why right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, is he hurled out to be tested by Satan? What is this story doing in the Gospels? Why, why is it so important that it happened? And more to the point, what's it doing at this point in the story of Jesus? Does that make sense? Now, as I was thinking about this, you'll be pleased with me. I came up with the right answer. 
Do you remember the beginning of the world? <laughs> How many of you remember it? Good times. Good fireworks. And, um, uh, and God creates the heavens and the earth. And on day six... <laughs> Skipping forward, um, a few, depending on how long you interpret it as, millions of years or six days or whatever, um, he creates human life on the earth. Yeah? Great. And then he speaks a blessing over those guys. He says, be fruitful and multiply. I've made you. I love you. I've created you. I've breathed my life into you. Be fruitful and multiply and increase in number and eat of any of the trees in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, do not eat. What happens the very next story? Why do they eat it? Because they're tempted by... So in other words, the original story begins with man and God's blessing on him and a story of plenty and God's provision. But into that story comes the serpent, right? And the serpent says, did God really say, don't eat of any of the, truths, don't eat of any of the trees of the garden? And he twists the word of God just like he does to Jesus. And he accuses them just like he does to Jesus. And he accuses God of being a big old spoil sport and a right old so-and-so. And what do our first parents do? They give in. And that's where the whole story goes wrong, isn't it? Does that make sense? So what do we need from a saviour? We need a savior who's going to go back to that where it all went wrong and start a new humanity, right? We need a new Adam who, when the serpent comes along, can say, stick it to you, serpent. I'm going to listen to the voice of my father. Because unless we go back as far as, as far as that to where it all went wrong, there's no solution. Does that make sense? This story is at this point in Jesus' ministry because the story is showing us a new Adam is here, a new beginning is here, a new creation is here, a new mankind is here. So this is so much bigger than just lessons for Sam about how to deal with temptation, though it is that. This is a new story is starting. A new beginning is starting. That's, that's now a story of life and hope because the new Adam said no and yes to God. And trusts him and trusts his identity in him and lives in him. That's why this story is here. Isn't that cool? Now, that's really, that means for me that this story isn't just about all my personal temptations, though they, I do have a few, um, but is, is really about this. Which story do I want to participate in in my life? When the voice of, when the, I'm not saying that Satan talks to me individually, but when that voice, when that accusing voice, comes into my life, when I want to do something that I know is out of kilter with what God's heart is for my life, it's not just a choice of whether I can hang on in there or give in. It's a choice, which story do I want to live in today? Do I want to live in the old story (laughs) where I don't listen to the voice of God and do listen to the voice of the snake and lose and lose everything, and be a part of that decaying story, that story of pain and loss and ultimately death. But here's the flip side. When that voice is in my life, and I choose to do it God's way, I'm not just winning a tiny victory. I'm playing a part in the new story 
of the recreation of mankind and humanity coming back to where it should be in the first place. Isn't that cool? That's an invitation for us to live lives following God's word and following his prompting. Not just because there's a list of checkboxes that you should and shouldn't do, and sometimes it's hard, though that is true. (laughs) And I'll tell you the checkboxes afterwards if you want. But because you get to participate in the amazing story of Jesus and in the unraveling of, in the unfolding, not the unraveling, the unfolding of his kingdom on the earth. How cool is that? So, um, with that in mind, um, I'd like, I think I'd like us to pray again. Is that okay? You can't say no to that, can you? It's, it's the kind of request that no one can, <laughs> no one can be like, no, it's a bad idea to pray. Um, so, uh, there's a couple of things that I think we should pray for. Um, the first is, um, and I appreciate there's, there's some sensitivity issues around this, um, which is if there's something that you've been struggling with for a long time and you just feel like Satan's got the upper hand and he's winning with you on it, and you don't have to tell us what it is. That's, that's one of the conditions. We won't ask what it is. But there's an issue in your life where you just feel like, actually, I've been trying to get that sorted for years and I haven't yet. And I just feel like I can't conquer that part of my life. Then we're going to pray for you guys. Is that okay? Or for us, really, I should say. Um, the other thing is, I think it would be really good if, if what Alison said earlier um, connects with you on a personal level. And maybe you just weren't in a position to pray earlier or whatever. Um, and you actually think, actually, I need, to get, I need to get prayer for my finances. It's just a kind of separate issue a little bit. But it's not that separate, really, is it? Um, but to get prayer for that. Is that okay? And then the other thing is... <laughs> Let's be in community. Like, if you think about it, um, Jesus was on his own when we were tempted. When he was tempted, we don't really have to do that. Like, it was amazing that he stood up to it then. But one of the ways that Satan can get to us is if we isolate ourselves from Christian community and don't be open with each other. And actually, if we're in relationships that are really honest and really open, where you can talk about what's going on in your life, you can talk about what you're struggling with, what you're struggling to say yes to, you're struggling to say no to. That's actually a really helpful thing. In other words, join a house group if you haven't. Um, and if you're in a house group and that's a wrong place to do it, make a tinier group within your house group of a few people that you actually really, really trust and want to talk and pray with. Is that cool? Um, good. How are we going to do prayer? Shall I pray? Um, yeah. Uh, cool. If either of those two things apply to you, and we won't ask, maybe we will ask which, Mm. Um, just stick your hands out in front of you like this if you want prayer for either of those two things and then we're going to look around and if, you're not, if you've not got your hands out but someone else around you is then just go and stick your hand on their shoulder and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill them and he knows what's going on so you're just going to pray for them um, and you're not going to ask them what their secret dark sin is um, is that okay? So, um, if you want, if you like prayer, hands out like this. Jesus is going to do stuff, and then just move around a little bit and find someone who's got their hands out. Um, if that's not you. Please be having a look around. There's a few people with uh, with hands still out. I think who don't have someone. And all you need to do is just say, Holy Spirit, come. (laughs) And just pray a blessing on them. Pray for freedom. Pray for the word of God to ring true um, and to set them free.
pray for the provision of Jesus. There's a great thing about prayer that you don't even need to pray anything particularly clever. You just get to say, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, come. Bring your healing. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you call us your children. And that is who we are. That's not up for grabs. Lord, thank you that wherever we go and whatever we do, you still just so love us. And you don't only love us, you want to use us. Make us a part of your kingdom. Lord, I want to pray that you would renew our hope and renew our vision of you. Renew our passion for your word. Lord, help us to feel like Jesus really felt fed by it. Lord, we want that. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into all of our hearts. We need you, Holy Spirit, wherever you send us. Even if it means (laughs) taking us somewhere difficult, we'll follow you. So would you do a work in our hearts this morning? There's a couple of verses from Hebrews. It says, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. It's all done. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, He is able to help those who are being tested. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help us when we're being tested. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're such a good Lord. And we love you. (laughs) And we're so grateful that you kick Satan in the face. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Sam. So we've come to the end of the service. Um, just want to encourage you again to have a look at the opportunities to serve in the notices and just to think about this week whether there might be something that you'd like to be part of or you feel God would like you to be part of, just to think and pray about it this week. Just have a hope you have a lovely week. Um, there's tea and coffee at the side, and it'd be lovely to... So if you need prayer or anything, then there will be people around who would be happy to pray with you as well. Oh, and set down is Nigel's group and West Wickham. <laughs>